Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. So this is week two of a series we are looking at the whole of 2018, this theme of Rooted. And so over this year, we're going to look at different ways where we can be rooted into the Word of God, rooted into Him, rooted into church, rooted into our community, and rooted as disciples of Christ. And so last week, we looked at the importance of being rooted in Christ. And we use the analogy of the tree. And so we have upon our stage the tree. Um, that's our, our tree for the year. We'll see if it makes the full 12 months. Uh, but the idea that Christ, when we last, we looked about the roots of a tree is like being rooted in Christ. That if you, you really need to make sure first and foremost we root ourselves in him. And then the trunk is like being rooted in the, in the church, our community, our family, a sense of belonging. And, um, and then lastly, we have the branches, our reach into the community, our fruit, where people see who we really are. And last week, I spent a bit longer just sort of saying, you know, it's great how all those three things in balance. But if we don't root ourselves first in Christ, it's a bit like our roots are small, that our roots don't support the weight of the rest of who we are. And if we're not careful, our roots are small, we'll fall over. We won't survive. And likewise, if we don't have any time with our church, family, our community and belonging, uh, we can have a skinny trunk. It took me ages to draw that. There we go. You might snap. You might break. You know, the sense of community is what keeps us going when hard times come. And lastly, if we have no branches, no fruit, then as a tree, we become purposeless. We have no purpose. We end up with just nothing to offer to our community, nothing to offer those. By your fruits, you will be known. And we need to make sure we have healthy fruit. We want to make sure we are balanced as followers of Christ. That we are rooted in him. We are rooted in Christ. Rooted in the church. And rooted in community. So the first week we looked last week about being rooted in Christ. And we heard that fantastic spoken word that Tim Parker had written. And this week we're going to look at being rooted in church. And this was the verse from the spoken word that Tim used um, what you watched last week. Do have a look at it online if you get a chance. It is fantastic. A great job the team have done. He said this, um, We want to see this church grow established roots in this community. So we're dreaming big for a fixed location, for a permanent purpose-led people first, building for this and the next generation. And we want to see a church reflect the goodness of the king. We want the coffee-fueled conversation, the songs that we sing, to show the world that it's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about him. It was interesting just now as I listened to Jordan and Hannah tell their story, because I've probably got a similar story. I, I, I don't really remember a time that I didn't go to church, that from the very youngest age, my parents took me to church. Likewise, one of the main reasons my dad was the church pastor. I probably didn't have much choice in the matter. And I remember an occasion a few years ago, I helped my parents move house, and I found my dad's diaries. Now, I need to make it really clear, these are like appointment diaries, not personal kind of, you know, diaries. And I went to the year of my birth. That's what you do, isn't it? I thought, I'll find out what my dad was doing on the day of my birth. And I looked up, and I was born on a Friday. And on the Saturday, my dad was doing a wedding. I remember the names of the people, Bert and Queenie. Bert and Queenie, they were an elderly couple who were getting a second marriage, remarried. And my dad, the day after I was born, my dad was back in church marrying a couple in our church. And on the Sunday, he was there at church again preaching. And I was probably at church every single Sunday since I've been born, pretty much. And my parents would always take us to church. To be honest, it was never a conversation, shall we or shall we not? We just went to church. It's what we did. 
And I find it fascinating, some 40 plus years later, that I'm one of six children. And, and we were all just, we all went to church. It's what we did, which was quite challenging before you had things like people wagons. And, you know, we don't, you had to go in two cars because there weren't cars big enough for families of eight. And we'd go to church. And now, 40 years later, all my brothers and my sister, they're all going regularly to church. Their families are going regularly. And I, and I, I want to tell you some sort of magic secret. I don't know what my parents did. They were very formal in the way they did things. But my, my family always believed that a church was something we did. It was an important part of our lives. I had church, I had birthday parties at church. I went to youth on a Friday night, a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, and a Sunday evening. And I went to all these kind of things, and you know what? I loved every moment of it. I've got a great fondness of the church. I love being part of the church. You know, I never wanted to lead the church, but I love just being part of the community and part of the family, the sense of belonging, that people, when I've had tough times, who've come alongside me, who've loved me, cared for me, supported me, encouraged me, given generously towards things I've been involved with, and I'm so grateful when I look back at the church and how I've been able to be part of this incredible family of God. The church is an amazing thing. You may recognize this sign up on the screen here. It's a famous, one of the most famous logos in the world. It's, I love New York. Uh, maybe you've seen that. I was in Humbugs this week, the, the sweet shop in Romsey. And on the till, he had a little sticker that said, I love Romsey. Now, I didn't think it was going to quite make the heady heights of the I Love NY logo, but I thought that was just a little cute little thing. I don't know if you love the town that you're part of. Maybe you love Romsey or you love the place you live. Maybe it's like you're really proud, I'm from here, I'm from this location. And we're quite happy to say, I love my town, I love my village, I love where I live, I love where I belong. Or maybe you, 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 you can't wait to visit Sunday's Child and you like to say, I love ice cream. Maybe you're sitting this morning going, I love ice cream, but I can't have ice cream. I mean, for me, it's always mint choc chip every single time. I, my, my family think I'm really boring, but I'm like going, I, I love mint choc chip. It just, it works. I, I tried once deviating. I went, for a, I went for a sorbet in Sunday's Child. It was something like a shower gel. It was really quite grim. So now I'm back on the mint choc chip and I'm very happy. Maybe you love ice cream, or maybe, as you heard from the response to Hannah's comment this morning, maybe you love... Southampton Football Club. Maybe I love Southampton. There are some of you here I know, you love football. You love your football team. You support your football team. I love my football team. Some of you spend a lot of money. You have season tickets. You go to regularly to matches. You buy all the outfits and the shirts and the stuff. And you talk about my team. I love my team. Didn't my team do well when they snatched a draw from the defeat of, of winning 2-0. They threw it away to Watford yesterday. But there we go. You still love your team. You're still passionate about what you do or don't do. The good days and the bad days, you love your football team. Or maybe, and this one I, I really struggle with, maybe you love cats. People love cats. Some of you here are shocked, and many of you are probably thinking, oh, I'm a bit odd. We have a cat. I think it's like a teenager. It only comes in when it's hungry or fancies asleep. That's it. It shows us no love, no appreciation, just meows, makes a noise until you feed it or you give it somewhere to sleep. People love cats. The most watched films on YouTube are films of cats, especially cats playing pianos or doing strange things. There's even a restaurant that you can go to that's full of cats. You can sit there and you can stroke a cat while you eat your... Really? And some of you here are allergic to cats thinking that's a nutty idea. People love things. They love their town. They love their food. They love their football team. They love their animals. But do you ever say, 
I love my church. Do you ever go, wow, you don't know, this weekend I went to church, I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. See, some of you are sitting there going, oh, it's not your church, Sim. It's his church. I get that, but if I go into work on a Monday morning or I'm wandering down the town, I'm speaking to someone, you know what, I love his church. They'll be going, whose church? You know, let's let's not confuse our correct theology with how we communicate the truth about this. I love my church. I love my church family. I love being part of the family of God. I love my church. Why is it we sometimes struggle with saying, I love my church? Why do we not have an emotional feeling towards this thing? Because I think sometimes people think it is just a thing I attend. But it's meant to be a community, a family, a group of people we belong to. If you turn to Acts chapter 2, we hear about the early church. Every pastor I know, every church leader I know, looks at these verses with envy. And they think, I wish my church was like that. I tell everyone that my church is like this, and uh, that none of them believe me. But anyway, so if we read from verse 42, this is the early church. This is the moment where, where Jesus died, and he's been resurrected, and the, uh, the, the disciples see him ascend into heaven. They've got that moment, Acts 2. They are sitting around going, what do we do next? Well, Jesus left us. We have been led by this guy for three years, and now we don't know where to go. And they are sitting around, there's this moment, Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit falls. We, we remember that in Pentecost time. And, and the Spirit of God falls, and they speak in different language, and they are empowered. And Peter stands up, has always been the, the, maybe the first one to put his foot in his mouth, and he speaks boldly. And 3,000 people get baptized. And I'm always going, how do you do that logistically? That's, that's a challenge and a half. 3,000 people get baptized. And so they go into seas and go, what do we do with all these followers of Christ? Well, they start to gather regularly. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, All the believers devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, that's communion, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It sounds like an amazing season. You get to Acts chapter 5 and a few things get challenging, but that was a start. That was the honeymoon period of the early church. and It was an incredible experience by the sounds of it. And I would love to hear more of those stories. What was it like when you had that moment of encounter with God and how do we work this thing out? How do we do church? We don't even know what it looks like. And the church throughout the Bible has, has many kind of metaphors being used. Uh, the Bible uses things like the church is like a body. 1 Corinthians talks about the body being, you know, we've got different parts to play that together we can actually make something beautiful, but separate, we're not much good. Or it talks about the body of uh, the church being like a family or a community, like the vine or a flock. Or in Ephesians 5, it talks about the church being like a bride. The bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And I don't know about you, but every time I've been to a wedding, and I have been to dozens of weddings, either being involved in speaking at them or leading them through or a part of the family or friends, 
I've never seen a bride who is not glowing and beautiful and attractive and ready and prepared. I've never been to a wedding where the, the bride looks like I've just sort of rolled out of bed and go, didn't have time to get ready, sorry. They always look amazing, don't they? They're always glowing. And I'm like, that is the church. The church should be this beautiful bride of Christ. It should be the best presentation to the bridegroom that is to come. You know, sometimes people say things like, yeah, well, I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I don't think much of the church. And people say that to me. And I know why, because they've been upset and hurt and disappointed by church. But they make this weird statement. It's like, I love Jesus. I love everything he talks about. I love all the red letters in the Bible and his thing about justice. I think it's wonderful. But the church, seriously, Sim, do you believe in that stuff still? The church is the bride of Christ. Imagine if I had a really good friend that came up to me and said, Sim, you're a great mate. I love hanging out with you. But seriously, your wife, I've got no time for that. Imagine that conversation. I mean, I'm sure it happens the other way around, to be honest with you. Don't laugh so loudly. I'm insecure. But, but you know, imagine if someone said to me, I want to be your friend, but not your wife's friend. I'm like, you know what, that's awkward, but maybe, we, maybe this isn't going to be the best way to have a relationship. You know, if you love me, you need to love those who I love. Jesus loved the church. Jesus saw the church as the bride of Christ. He loved the church. How can Christians say they love Jesus but don't love his church? You know, Joel Osteen says this, You can be committed to church but not committed to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to the church. It's a subtle thing, isn't it? You can be committed to church, you can turn up to church and do the right things, but don't really love Jesus. But if you love Jesus, you've got to love his church. People say, oh yeah, but church is boring. Abraham Lincoln famous said, if all the people that fell asleep in church on a Sunday morning were laid end to end, they'd be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> Can't disagree with the president. <clears throat> Moving on. Don't say church is boring. You're the church. You're part of the church. If you're upset and think the church is boring, take a look in the mirror. Maybe there's a reason why the church is boring. Because I don't want to be part of a boring church. And if you do want to be part of a boring church, can you go somewhere else? Please. I know I've just offended a bunch of you, but if that's you and you think, oh, yeah, I'm quite boring, then please find somewhere else. I'll put a smile on your face. Church should be fantastic. It should be vibrant. It should be full of life. It should be beautiful. It's the bride of Christ. It should be the best representation of Jesus on this earth. Or sometimes people say the church is irrelevant. Ephesians 1 says this, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Our focus should always be that way around. What does Jesus teach us about the world through the eyes of the local church? You know, the church is not meant to, and I hear this a lot in the news, people say things like the church needs to get up to speed with the rest of the world. They need to catch up with what the world thinks. You need to sort yourselves out, church, and catch up. The rest of the world are running ahead, and you're left behind. The church is not meant to keep up with the changes in the world. The church is meant to change the world. We have got a mission. The church is on a mission. It's not meant to be a, a club, an organization we attend and stop. It's meant to be something that launches out into what God wants us to do in our world. You know, Jesus loved the church, his bride, so much, he died for the church. 
Ephesians 5, when Paul, who wrote the, the letter there to the church in Ephesus, a new church that was starting up, and he, he writes his letter in Ephesians 5 and, and compares Jesus, the bridegroom, with the church. And he says this is like husbands and wives. He says, husbands, you need to be like Jesus, prepared to die for your wife. And wives, you need to be prepared to respect and honor your husbands. And some people are uncomfortable with those kind of statements. But, you know, I always say to, to wives, if you, if you, are you a wife that a husband wants to die for? And husbands, do you live a lifestyle that your wife would want to look up to and respect and honor? It's about our personal responsibility in that relationship. And Jesus loved the church so much, he died for us. He died for each one of us. As Hannah said earlier, you know, in a marriage you do, you reap what you sow. What you invest is what you get back every single time. If you want an ordinary relationship with your husband or wife, then treat your relationship as ordinary. And it will become exactly how you treat it. If you want to have a special relationship, invest in it. If you want to have a special relationship with the church, invest in it. Jesus said he will build his church, but if you love Jesus, then you love his church. So how do we get rooted into his beautiful church? How do we connect ourselves in? How do we ensure that we can say, I love my church? You know, at Freedom Church, we don't have a membership list. And I've deliberately got rid of the membership list. I find membership lists often are systems of rules and regulations and sort of club mentality. I'm either in or I'm out. For me, what I would love to see here in this community called Freedom Church, almost what I refer to as like a, a partnership. Because we're not members of a club, and it's, the word members meant to be members of a body, as Paul was reflecting in Corinthians. I understand that. But in language of today, can we be much more partners together for the gospel? Can we work together as a community for what God wants to do in this place? And so in some ways, what, what we've done as a leadership team is create a, a way of self-selecting your partnership. If you want to be part of this church then you only reveal that by these next three things I want to show to you. If you want to become in love with the church, then I've got three things I want to challenge you with. Number one, really simple. Turn up. Turn up. Attend. Get here. Make every effort to get yourself to church on a Sunday. I know some of these things are old-fashioned. Last week we talked about praying and reading the Bible and worship. And listen, these things, someone goes, oh, it's so old-fashioned. Turn up. Turn up. Make every effort to get to church. Attend regularly. If you keep on attending, God will change you. He will change you. He will make a difference. Don't make it into a conversation on a Sunday morning. Shall we or shall we not? Just make it, this is what we do. This is who we are. We're going to attend and be part of this family. Don't say things like, I don't need church. You know, if I'm, in, in, if I'm in a relationship with my, my wife and I decide that I don't really want to go home very often, that relationship won't be very healthy. If I would rather be out with my mates than seeing my wife, that's an unhealthy mentality to have. If you want to be part of the church but never attend, then you start becoming disconnected rather than rooted into the church. It's so important that Lottie and I spend time together. It's really important. And, and I know, we know, when we haven't spent enough time together. 
you know, you start to know as a couple, you go, oh, it's been ages. And it's like, you're, just, you're busy, you're in and you're out, and you're saying, all right, see you later, bye, and we're off. We can't treat church that way. You have to treat the church like an important, valuable community we want to be part of. Let's turn up, let's attend, let's make sure this is a priority. Um, Dwight Moody said this, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. Attending church is as important as a blood transfusion. If you want to be a healthy follower of Christ, you need to get yourself to church. I know that people say, but I don't go to church. I am the church. I am the church. That com- and I, I, I get that. But we mustn't make those two statements pitted against each other. We can be the church and we can go to church. They're not opposites. And I would argue if you... But say you are the church, but you never go to church, then you end up becoming a weaker version of what the church should be. As we gather, we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and we go out from here as scattered servants bringing light into dark places. But we have to get recharged, re-energized, restarted what God has got for us each time we gather. The early church gathered daily. So if you're not happy with a weekly, we can go back for a daily Some of you would love that, actually. I know. Some of you go, yeah, great. I'll be around seven in the morning, Sim. We must make sure we gather regularly. We attend church. We are the church. We go to church. Those two things can go together. Hebrews 10 says, let's not neglect our meeting together. As some people do, encourage one another. Encourage one another. If a friend hasn't been to church for a while, get alongside them. Say, come on, I'll come pick you up. Let's make it a priority. It's not about tenants. It's not about so I can go to a conference next week and say, oh, I had a full house on Sunday. Look what Sim's done. It's not. It's so we can actually we can benefit from one another. You see, because secondly, church is all about others. It's all about service. Attendance and service. We're here to serve others. We're here to engage in those others around us. If we go back to the, the imagery of a, a relationship, the bride of Christ, then in my, my, my love of my wife, Lottie, I want to serve her. I want to serve her most of the time. I've told this story before. It's still a true story. The first morning, I'm going to too many details, we woke up on our, on our, on our honeymoon. And we woke up, and there's that moment where who gets out of bed first and makes the cup of tea? Because what I now say to people in the pre-marriage sessions we do is, whoever gets out first, that's it for life. And now I can say to you, I have completed 21 and a half years times 365 days of making my wife a cup of tea. 99% of those times, I love doing it. Seriously, I'm not going, it's, she's my wife. I love to serve her. I love to get her, I wake up then, you know. And the cup of tea comes, it's what I do. It's part of our relationship, how it works. I serve. And there are some times where I don't really want to do it. But you know what? I do it anyway. I do it anyway. I have made cups of teas in a very foul mood before. Lottie knows because the kind of this, the force of, you know, as I put the mug down on the bedside table, she knows whether I've made that with a loving spirit or a grumpy attitude. But here's the thing, I still served. And it's important that if we're going to be part of this family called the church, we need to serve others. It's always about preferring others. The church, says William Temple, the church is the only society that exists for the benefits of those who are not its members. 
We are always meant to be about others. It's never about ourselves. You know, when people come and complain to you about the church, you wouldn't believe it. People actually do. I know you're surprised. In Freedom Church, there's nothing going wrong with it at all. They, some of them say to me, they, they tell me some kind of problem. But it's always about what they want. The church isn't doing what I think it should do. It's not, about, it's not delivering what I need right now. And when you turn your mentality around to, is it serving others? Is it loving others? others? Is it helping others? We started our Freedom in Christ course on Tuesday evening, just gone, and having a room full of people rediscovering who their identity is in Christ. I'm going, this is fantastic. This is for others. So we can be better people following Christ, so we can reflect him better. Or Craig Rochelle wrote this. He said, there is something better to worship God together and be committed to worshiping him together. Do not reduce church to listening to a podcast. What's fascinating, this guy, Craig Rochelle, runs one of the biggest churches in America, has probably one of the biggest um, networks of people listening on podcasts. They have an online church you can go to where literally tens of thousands of people watch their services online. But he says this, don't reduce church, listen to a podcast. It's so much more than that. It's community. It's worshipping with others, praying for others, hurting with others, serving others, being involved in the lives of others. Church is always about others. The moment it becomes about you is where it stops working. It stops us from becoming self-absorbed. We look to him. We look to others. It's always the way it should be. Tim Keller said this, You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. We're meant to be about others. I know that I grow more when I'm surrounded by others. Iron, sharpening iron. When I go to conferences, I learn more when I go with others. When I have conversations, interactions, it's always better with others than just by myself. It's never about me or you. It's about us. It's about others. The greatest command, Jesus said, was to love the Lord your God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as you love yourself. The second thing about church, if you want to get rooted in church is to make sure you're serving others. So number one, attend regularly. Number two, serve others. Number three, give and give generously. Oh, here we go. It's the money one. He's going to do it again. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I love my wife. We'll go back to that analogy. Jesus loved the church like bride, the bride of Christ. I love my wife and I buy her gifts. I do buy her gifts. I do. Someone she buys them herself and tells me that I've bought them for her. <laughs> More often than probably she should, anyway. But we need to be generous. You know, and so I give regularly to my wife. I, every birthday, every Christmas, if I did not give her a gift, that would be strange. The, that bit, to be honest with you, for me, the routine of giving is actually quite easy. I like habitual giving. That's easy. I give regularly to the church. I do a standing order, and it's really simple. What's more challenging is being spontaneously generous as well. Routine giving is good. Being spontaneously generous is amazing. And I know that Lottie loves little gifts and little treats, and she loves handwritten notes left romantically lying around the house. I prefer those last-minute texts where you got in the car and realised you've not said goodbye to your wife in the morning. It's not very good, is it? I've got so much more to learn, but I know that if I give and give generously, my wife, she, she enjoys the love that is being expressed by the giving. And when it comes to our church, we need to make sure we're attending, make sure we're serving. We need to be giving. We need to be giving of our finances. And I know sometimes it's an awkward conversation in church and money, but I want to say if you're already rooted in this church, start giving. 
Start giving generously. Start committing to giving regularly. Start saying, can I do things spontaneously to, to bless somebody else? You know, a, a beautiful moment. Like last night, I was out for a meal. And we get to the end of that meal, and there's always an awkward moment. You have to divvy up all the kind of the meal. And a friend of mine said, it's okay. I want to buy the meal. I'll pay for everything. At that point, I'm thinking, I wish I had the fillet steak. Um, no, just, just, okay. But what an amazing, generous thing to do. And we need to be people who can be generous. I want our church to be generous. I struggle when I hear people say to me, oh, I don't know if we can afford it. I don't know. It's, it's a bit, but it's a lot of money. I'm thinking, let's be generous-minded people. We will find a way to pay things because the early church bought everything they had and they shared it amongst one another and said, can we look after others with the gifts that we've each got? Our job is to be generous and it is God's job to use the generosity to make sure it's dispersed appropriately. Let's make sure we are obedient with our tithing. Bring in your tithe. I heard this great principle just a few weeks ago. It never says in the Bible to give your tithe. Your tithe is not a gift. Your tithe isn't generous. Your tithe is what you need to bring back in. And we can get all in semantics that it's not the time to be talking a full service a sermon on, on tithing. But give, give regularly. Commit yourselves to the storehouse of God. And I also say it's about attitude. You know, Jesus applauded the widow who brought the very little she had. Because the way she brought it was more important than those who brought their big bags of money. It's never about the, about the amounts. It's always about the heart. And I make it a personal principle that I never know who gives how much money. I have no idea if you give um, a lot of money or small, I do not know how much you give because it's never about me having that knowledge. I want to be able to look you in the eyes and love you for who you are, not think, oh, they don't contribute very much. It's not important to me. It's not important to God. Our attitude is more important. And so Simon, who does wear finances, he tells me um, if people start giving, I love to write a little note and thank people. I want, it, I want to say, I want everyone to give. I don't care how much. That's between you and God. But I want everyone to feel part of this community. And one of the ways you feel part of it is by giving regularly. Giving regularly. Giving generously. It changes your attitude when you start to give towards something. You take an interest in things you've invested in, don't you? If you put money in something, you always want to know how is it doing. My, my son, Zach, who's going to be embarrassed because I mentioned him, he started dabbling in cryptocurrency. All right. I don't know what you think of that. It doesn't really matter. But he's, he's definitely up in the money because he started last June. I wish I'd started last year. But he, he's investing in cryptocurrency. But here's the thing. Almost every morning, almost every morning, he comes down to breakfast and he tells me how he's doing with his cryptocurrency. And I'm like, seriously. But he's interested because he's invested. And if you get invested in the church with your finances, you'll be more interested in the health of the community you're part of. Get yourself giving regularly. The money doesn't matter. The amount sorry, doesn't matter. It's the attitude towards the giving. Proverbs 11 says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Let's be generous. Let's be extravagant. Let's do things that people are not expecting you to do. How much fun would that be? We're going to start bringing things to end, but those are three things there. If you want to get roots in the church, start to attend. Start to serve others. Start to give generously. Let's get the worship team back up on the stage. If that's all right, it'd be great. You know, this church will never be a perfect place. It will never be a perfect place. Somebody once said, if you find a perfect church, you probably should leave. Because you might ruin it. It's, it's for everyone, this church. It's for the broken. It's for the wounded. 
It's for the disappointed. It's for those who've done church and been let down by church. It's those who've never been to church. This church is for everybody. This is church for, for everyone, for all those who are far off. For each person is welcome. This is about our family. It's always about others. It's never about us. I love my church. I love Freedom Church. I think you guys are amazing. Lots of often we talk about the church and we go, we are so privileged to be part of such an amazing church. We are really privileged. You might not think it's true, but it is. Look around you. There are some great people in this church family. Amazing people. And if everyone attended, we'd have not enough seats. If everyone attended, we'd not have enough seats. If everyone attended, there'd be 200 adults in the room. But normally it's about two-thirds of that number. Because other people, I think, I understand. I'm not trying to make it into a uh, kind of a, you know, some sort of legalistic system. But attendance shows a commitment. It's a really important part of our value of our church. If you want to be in love with your church, do attend, do serve, do give. I also want to say as we finish, I want to say a massive thank you to those who do those things already. We've often talked in our welcome lunch we've got in a couple of weeks' time. Come along to that. You'll hear the same talk again. We talk about our time, our treasure, and our talents and bringing those things. I want to say a massive thank you for those who do come here regularly. For those who get up early in the morning and 8.30 this morning, there was a team of people setting up church so you could do what you're doing right now and we could participate in this together. Thank you for those who've committed to being on a big team. For those who've been making uh, coffees and teas and serving and on the door welcoming people. Thank you those who can't hear me because they're in the Freedom Kids right now. Thank you those who give their time and their efforts and their talents to preparing. I came in early this morning and, and one of our children's team was in going through all the mess in the children's kind of resources and tied them all up, giving their time, serving others. Can I say thank you to those people who've committed to help run our children's work. It's such an important part of what we do. Thank you those who looked after our young people. Thank you for those who are new parents, who, are, who I see you there at the back of your buggies. Thank you for coming along. I know it's not always easy. And I know Lottie and I started to forget what it was like when we had a buggy and a small child. I know it can be difficult coming to church at a time where really your child wants to have a feeding time or they want to do other things than come to church. I know it's difficult. Thank you for making a commitment. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for those who, who, who love our worship and enjoy it. And thank you for those who would rather it be quieter and more contemplative, but put up with it anyway. Thank you for those who are activists and kind of want to get out there and change the world and get a bit frustrated when people want to just talk about the church all the time. Thank you for your patience, but help us to move forward and do greater things that God's got for us. Thank you for those who've been part of this church for decades, who've given generously for a long time, who've been committed to the church year in, year out. Thank you. Thank you for those who are participating in this community. Thank you that you love the church. And I'll invite others, if you're not part of us and you'd love to be, come and join Freedom Church. Can you say, I love my church like Christ loved the church? So I'm sending you a challenge as I finish this week. And this challenge is a challenge I give to people when they say to me, I'm feeling disconnected from the church. I'm feeling left out. I'm feeling like I don't really belong. I feel like I don't have any friends or connections. And I give people what I call the four-week challenge. It's very simple. It lasts four weeks. Attend every Sunday for four weeks. Go to Connect Group regularly for four weeks. Give 
in those four weeks and find a way of service in those four weeks. It's amazing how many people do that and come back with a different approach, a different attitude. Why? Because when you get rooted in Christ and you get rooted in the church, it all turns around because then you have a love because you're invested. Let's get rooted in the church. Let's all stand, shall we? I'll leave you this last scripture from Psalm 92. Love this. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. My desire as a leader in this church is that every single person who is part of Freedom Church would flourish. I want you to be amazing. I want you to be fully all all that God has called you to be. My desire is never about the church, it's about the people that make up the church. My desire is that you flourish, that you grow strong, that you grow healthy in your love for Christ and love for others. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Get rooted in and flourish. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that ultimately this is your church. This is your plan. This is your, this is your group of people here in front of me this morning. You love each one of us. You pull us together. Lord, may we as a church family reflect you better, I pray. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.